0: Hey, party people. Thanks for downloading our podcast. This is our review for the second episode of House of Cards Season 2, called Chapter 15. We have Claire stepping into the spotlight and revealing some heavy backstory. We also get some more insight into Frank and Claire's marriage, which seems to run deeper than just a political partnership, which we initially thought was just what it was. Okay, here we go.
1: Buddy, and welcome to This House of Cards podcast, an unofficial podcast about the Netflix hit show House of Cards. I'm your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Husted. What's up, Tyler? Not too much, my friend. It's a Sunday evening. I'm enjoying a beer. I'm about to talk about House of Cards. It couldn't get any better than that.
0: How about you? Oh, uh, I have a, well, drinking-wise, I'm having some coffee with some Bailey's. Uh, I got a lot of work I got to do later tonight, so I'm going to be up a bit later than usual, but I am really pumped to talk about
1: House of Cards first. Smart to spike your caffeine with Bailey's. Yep. I mean, that'll keep you going for all, uh, the rest of the evening. I have a local, uh, Bach beer on hand here. Um, that's a, that's a beer that is known for spring, so I guess that's just, uh, Fortunate thinking and hoping that winter is gone now. We can finally move on to spring. <laughs> Before... I no kidding. I'm sick of the snow here. I don't know how you feel. Yeah.
0: It, it actually melted and got into the uh, 50s, like two or three days this week, and everyone was shocked, but it's going right back down into the 20s and teens uh, by this weekend, which sucks. But...
1: Miserable. But if, if yeah. you, listener, feel the same way about winter, at least we have House of Cards yeah. to keep us uh, Yeah. Early. At least for 12 hours, uh, busy (laughs) indoors. Um, Before we get going here, as always, we want to remind you to check out our uh, Facebook page, Facebook.com slash This House of Cards podcast, and to um, post your questions and comments and stuff there, and we'll try to discuss them on the show. Also, check us out on iTunes and rate us, review us, critique us. We really appreciate that. Without further ado, let's talk about Chapter 15, the second episode in Season 2 of House of Cards. All right. Now, Let's talk about our opening scene here. We're talking about we're looking at the Underwoods' home, and they're in the process of getting um, the security for the vice president installed into their townhouse. And as we talked about last episode, it was important to Frank not to have to move anywhere. He wanted to stay in his home in the townhouse, and so they're kind of getting it all beefed up. The security was not necessarily. Excited about having to do that and not having him move into kind of whatever house the vice president typically lives in, I guess. Yeah. Um, But he was adamant on staying in his own home. So we kind of see here, you know, people are talking, this stuff's going on. um, Political stuff is going on in the midst of all this construction. So it's kind of a mess, which I guess is symbolic of kind of the mess that's going on in the political system now as they're looking to replace Frank or someone for someone to replace Frank as whip and all that kind of stuff. Now, let's talk about Frank getting sworn in at his home um, amidst all this wreckage. I mean, what is... Yeah, what's your
0: take on that? I mean, it's him just kind of dictating what, uh, in his terms, what he wants done his way. That's kind of how I took it. Um, It wasn't very fancy or uh, high profile. It was in his home. And, I mean, I... I I think you're starting to get hints in this episode of, you know, Frank's happy. He's obviously gotten to this spot that he wanted to be at, but this is at the end game. And we know that. He never clearly lays out his plan. But because this isn't a big fancy event, he's not having uh, a big to-do about it.
1: I think it's just because it's another step in wh- wherever he's trying to ultimately go. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that's an excellent point, and I've got a, a few quick points I want to make here as well. Yeah. I think that first of all, it really um, kind of reinforces what we talked about last episode, where for his, you know, Frank is not about the, you know, pomp and circumstance. He's not about the show. He's about the what's, you know, functionally what you know the steps to get power so he doesn't care about having some huge big presentation to show him getting yeah, sworn in as vice president you know if as long as he gets that position and he's in position as vice president then he's happy just like he didn't have to have the big birthday party um second point i want to make is that i think you know we see him getting sworn in with all this construction going on. It's almost like he's getting sworn into his position as vice president, like, amongst the rubble, you know, of all this, you know, um, a good point. wood framing and all these different things. It's kind of like the chaos that he has himself created. He is rising up above it like a phoenix or something like that.
0: Oh, boy. Like <laughs> I know what you mean. Like, say, like, in Game of Thrones, like, whoever the victor of... The battle is stand standing among like the corpses or something like that.
1: Exactly, and I mean, obviously, we he you know his couple of corpses, we don't get something that direct, but yeah, it's kind of the same kind of symbolism there. And finally, I I totally agree with your point that like this totally isn't his end game, and he does seem to be happy, but he definitely has a plan, and he's not yet satisfied with where he's at. And I think this right. is only reinforced by you know when he's going to bed that night, he sees Rachel Maddow on TV, and she says something about you know. Uh, this Frank Underwood guy, he was sworn in as vice president today secretly, you know, personally, I think he's just a placeholder until the 2016 presidential election. So, I mean, I think that that touched <laughs> a nerve, you know, cause Frank was like, you know, he's always ready to destroy doubters. So he's definitely not his envy. game. We know the presidency is his, his, his ultimate position well, so, or beyond, you know, who knows where else it could even go beyond that. Right. But he wants to be the top dog. Whatever that means. Yeah, exactly.
0: Which clearly, I mean, it makes sense that he would he's going to keep working his
1: way up till he gets the presidency. But who, how, how he does it, who knows? Well, he ta- yeah, he's always talking about the food chain. So, yeah. you know, he, he's always striving to be at the top of the food chain. Now, there's a few different storylines here, and we're going to kind of split them up and talk about them one by one because they can all kind of be distinctly separated. First one I want to talk about is kind of the political stuff going on, which is what starts here at the beginning in the house. Um, It's where Frank has kind of asked all the major candidates um, to replace him as Whip. Well, the two major guys, which is Wes – or there's the two guys, Buckholder and – Wes, yeah. Wes something. I don't remember their last names exactly, but the two guys who are pretty much the obvious choices for Whip, we- but the thing is, neither one of them is They're specifically, next but neither one is specifically higher than the other. And so Frank is kind of, you know, as we talked about last episode, put them in a position to rip each other apart with all these personal attacks. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. And so we kind of see them, we see the fruits of these, this, um, way he's placed them at odds in this kind of opening scene i think it's in his kitchen as the construction is going on he like frank makes the two guys shake hands diplomatically even though they're pissed at each other for like spreading you know rumors about someone's you know cheating on his wife or you know, all these different things these guys have done in the right. meantime we also have a little bit of a frank tusk dynamic going on here because once again tusk has kind of returned um Tusk is in town, right side, right hand man. Right, Tusk is in town to talk to the president about basically um, they have some sort of negotiations going on with China, trade negotiations, and Tusk is intimately involved and interested in things going well with these negotiations because I guess there's some Chinese restrictions on nuclear power that he wants lifted or something along those lines. Did you follow that specifically?
0: Not. Re- Not really. Not at this point, at least. point there's something going on with China.
1: The point is he wants something from China, and he thinks that the best solution to that is to be gentle with them. And to, you know... Let them. um, Basically give them whatever they want in order to get these trade sanctions lifted or whatever the deal is exactly. On the other hand, you also have um, Secretary of State Durant, who is who Mm -hmm. uh, Frank position Positioned into America. that he placed her in right. that position so she's kind of his one of his puppets Kathy
0: um, oh my Kathy
1: right and so he kind of has her placed in this position to act as his um, you know act do what he wants basically and mm-hmm. so you can but she wants to kind of be a little bit tougher with China and so you kind of have this dynamic here and of course to Tusk's face Frank is going to you know support Tusk but behind his back, yeah. he's telling he's telling Durant, "No, I want you to be um, antagonizing toward China, and let's see where right. we go with that." Frank is shady. Surprise,
0: surprise. Yeah, he totally does that. He's, he, I mean, I, that's a taste of kind of what we got last season, and it's continuing over here, where he'll play a certain person in front of their face completely differently than uh, once they leave the room. And and here, yeah, he's messing with Tusk a little bit, but he's also totally screwing the president.
1: Absolutely, and he doesn't have any qualms about that at all um i don't think I don't think he has any great respect and I, I think we learned this in season one. He doesn't have any great respect for the president in fact right i don't I don't know if he really has that great a respect for anybody except i'm I'm still debating whether or not his respect for Jackie, who is going to replace him as whip, is genuine or not. He seems to have respect i mean as we learned last episode, he respects her ability to make difficult decisions. Despite the consequences when they need to be made. And so I think that seems kind of genuine to me. So that might be one of the only instances in which he actually has respect for one of his peers. Right. But in this case, that's not the case. And he's going to do whatever he can to backstab the administration, even if, as long as it means, you know, him getting his way. And his specific purpose, of course, with this is why is he trying to get Durant to defy Tusk and the president? Do you remember, do you remember what he says the reason for this is it's because he wants to put a wedge between the president and Tusk. So that uh, way... Because yeah. yeah. he, thinks, he thinks Tusk, as especially <laughs> as a non-politician, as just a businessman, has the president's ear way too much, which definitely they made that clear because every time the president wants to make a decision, he gets on his private line to call Tusk. And so he's yep. trying to drive a wedge between the president and Tusk so that way um, he has more sway with the president than outside right. like business guy does. Right,
0: he has to end that relationship or just modify it so there's not that direct line um, between Tusk and um, the president. He needs to weasel his way in there so he becomes part of their conversation at least. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Well, he wants to be able to listen to everything, obviously. I mean, Yeah. He, he, <laughs> is, a, he is a spider. I think that that is a, the best um, symbol. I mean... Metaphor you can really have for him—the way he's always spinning webs behind people's backs and everything like that—he's such an intricate web with everything he does. Um, And of course, Durant follows his direction, and the her negotiators walk out on the talks with China because of some sort of dispute about cyber attacks, which is obviously right. Which I think is kind of BS. I think that was something that they just kind of manufactured to, you know. It sounds like obviously it was an an issue, but it was an excuse to do what. Frank wanted, so that way the discussions couldn't succeed and Tusk couldn't get what he wanted. And so that that kind of, that wedge is placed, the president's kind of pissed about it, and he chastises Durant for giving China this ultimatum on cyber attacks. And then we kind of see this, we we really see, I think this um, two-facedness of Frank really comes most into uh, light when we see, you know, the president has Tusk on speakerphone, and Frank's in the room with him, and Frank and President are talking with Tusk, and they basically say the best thing to do is make Durant apologize. And as soon as the President hangs up with Tusk, Frank like pretends he's walking out and turns around and says, "Actually, exactly. you should be tough and and stand hard on this." Like he just thought of it as a brand new idea, and it is right. Like it just it, came to him. I don't know how the President can be so stupid about it because it seems so obvious to us. But <laughs> I guess we we know <clears throat> Frank better than anybody because he's so into right. in his. <clears throat> Let me tell you, my audience.
0: friend. It doesn't get any much uh, easier to uh, see the president in, a, in a, an intelligent light. He just—he's got. I mean, as the president, you got to be a little more savvy than 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 this guy's being. Um, but at
1: least to recognize when you're being manipulated. But frankly, I would. I mean, it kind of almost seems as if the president. That's how he even got into this position. Is like maybe someone like Tusk back, you know, helped him with a strategy, you know, pushed him into this position. And I don't know how much he actually even had to do with it. He seems Mm -hmm. like someone who's not really capable of running. He always needs someone else's advice, and he's so easily swayed from one person to another. He doesn't really seem to have decisions that are his own genuine self. You know what I mean? This president, it's. I mean, the president is just. You know, basically, Underwood wants to be, Frank wants to be the Dick Cheney to the president. this president's George W. Bush and kind of like run <laughs> everything from the background. That's and, a good analogy. And Frank Tusk is trying to be the Karl Rove. And so you kind of have that dynamic where they're each pulling at an ear. Right, right. So with Tusk off the phone, obviously, he changes the president's mind. And he, the president publicly backs Durant. Uh, Tusk is pissed, and Frank has successfully driven that wedge. Mm-hmm. And so There it is. You c- once again, and we talked about this a whole lot last season, things happen real easy for Frank. Real easy. And so we talked about the potential for Tusk being a more worthy opponent. I would personally like to see Tusk kind of form some, you know, be kind of aware of what Frank's doing and form some counter move to get the president back on his side, so that way we kind of see a little bit of back and forth. I hope that this isn't the end of this already. Right. So we'll, I guess we'll see how that progresses as the season continues.
0: Yeah. I, I think basically this th- th- that phone call and that manipulation right there kind of sets the stage for you know the struggle we're going to see the whole season between the three power players, president, VP, and um, Tusk.
1: With really the real um, opponents being Trusc and Frank, and the president just being pulled one way or another without any real, yeah, I've got a real negative view of the president. Clearly, right now, as you can see, after we kind of have seen his interactions throughout the first season and throughout the couple episodes of this season,
0: yeah, now, well, he's he's a pretty he's pretty stupid president the way he's. I mean, it, it kind of remind me of. I know you don't watch um, Scandal, but that show where the president is a as one of the main characters and he's pretty stupid too and it's like how did you get into this position
1: when you're that dumb and that emotional? It makes you wonder about people like that, but at the same time it may also makes you realize that like when they have really savvy advisors and backers like kinda like Russo, like how much Did Russo really do—I mean, we really liked Peter Russo, obviously, but Mm -hmm. how much did he really do to advance his own campaign? It was all Frank, you know? He wouldn't have had any of it happen without Frank. So it just kind of demonstrates how in scenarios like these, the actual candidate himself or herself doesn't have to be the one who's kind of the brains. They just have to be—they're a figurehead, you know? Mm -hmm. They get driven forward by someone or someone else who wants the power and wants to be able to manipulate them to their will. I mean, that's a really pessimistic view of Washington, and let's hope that's not the case in real politics. But I can't help but feel that that might be true in some situations. Hopefully not all. Now we'll let's... find out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So let's talk about um, Jackie. Who do, you, do we know Jackie's last name yet? I or we, I think we do, but I don't remember what it is.
0: Yeah, I we
1: do, but I, I don't have it written down right now. So she's um, the one that Frank is obviously grooming to become whip, right. and we kind of see a hint of her, um, her talents. You know her similarities to Frank in this conversation she has with her mentor, mm-hmm. uh, Ted. I don't I don't remember Ted's last name but this older congress congressman or senator She's a, she's a congresswoman right she's so a congresswoman yeah so it's this older congressman that um she is obviously very close to him of course we realize that um she talks about later how he helped her win her first um campaign i think and she right. actually had she has a relationship with his um estranged uh illegitimate Disabled daughter, daughter who, yeah, I don't, um, who she will go and see for him because he isn't able to go see her himself for political reasons because he's trying to keep her a secret or right. whatever.
0: Right. Yep. Why so, uh,
1: so basically, what we learned is that they have got a very close relationship. Yes. Um, a lot of trust and, there. A lot of trust there, and we see the, But then again, we see them have this breakfast or lunch. Or it's, I think it's lunch where she essentially coerces him into thinking that. It's his idea for her to run for the whip position. Excuse me. It's her idea. Or it's his idea for her to run for whip and he will financially back her. So she kind of like mm-hmm. does does the Frank and like makes somebody else think it's their idea. Think it's their idea. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. So we get a little we get a little um hints of the same behavior there that, you know, maybe this is another up and coming power player that Frank has recognized because of her uh similarities to him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But then we also, we know that she's, well, we kind of get the impression, though, that she's she is a better person than Frank because she's doing something as kind as, you know, looking after um, Ted's daughter um,
1: what, when right. he's unable to do that. Like, Frank would Frank do that? I don't, hell I don't no. know. Hell so. no.
0: <laughs> Only no, if it was for, like,
1: a power move. I was going to say, you do know for, Hell no, Frank wouldn't do that. Unless there yeah. was, like, he exactly. like, would do it for the president or something like that. But that's it.
0: But yeah. it would. But I mean, the
1: exact. The only reason he, reason he would ever do something like that is to incur good favor or exactly. get somebody right. get somebody to owe him something or right. to have like secret information on somebody that he could then use to blackmail them later on. You know, absolutely. N- yeah. He would never do something like that out of the kindness of his heart, which is the oh, impression no. we get of why Jackie's doing it. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah, Frank is much more self serving. At least superficially, we don't see
1: that really in Jackie just yet. We just see her being manipulative. Mm-hmm. And we see, you know, the other two guys, who were the first and second choice for Whip, kind of catching on to what her, you know, mm-hmm. objective is that was here. cool. And plotting to work together to take her down. Of course, you know, she goes and Throughout this whole process, well, we see her going to go consult Frank. What were you we going to say? I'm sorry.
0: Oh, th- I mean, their plan... Do we know what their plan is yet? I don't remember if this episode if they tell us what their plan is.
1: Which is... Um,
0: They knew that they recognized that they might split votes.
1: I think that they they recognize that's going to happen, and they are going to plot to take her down. I didn't write down in my notes exactly what what their plan was. I don't remember the specifics of it. Um, I think
0: one was going to drop out of the race.
1: Oh, I think they do talk about that, and he's gonna because he's gonna get some sort of committee appointmentship or something like that.
0: Appropriations is what he'll get.
1: Right, and so they do talk about that because Jackie says to Frank that she doesn't have that... She's like, shit, I don't have anything to give them. She doesn't have, you know, because she goes to Frank and says, what am I going to do? And he says, well, what can you give to counter that? And she says, well, I don't really have anything that's as good as that in my ability. And Frank says, well, that's not entirely true. Um, You can, you know, this guy super hates your mentor. So if you screw your mentor here, then you might this guy get then this whip. guy this guy will support you and you'll get your whip position as whip and she's super conflicted by it super yeah. conflicted by it and frank almost kind of gets angry with her and says like are you the person i think you are this is how you show your toughness here right um either you go for it or you won't um he you know you have to blackmail ted with the fe- you know with um with the information the information not only does she end up blackmailing him she leaks it to the press, and he's in a position where he's forced to resign. Um, and that conversation they have at the end, where she tells him that she's throwing him under the bus in cold blood, is... It's pretty brutal. And you can... You can I think that the actress, I think... Molly Parker, I believe is her name, does a yeah, really good great. job. She does a really good job, because you can really see it on her face and the way she says things that, like, she is trying to act way tougher than she's actually feeling, that she really feels super distraught by this. Right. You could see the struggle in her face. She doesn't have that ice cold Claire. will that Claire or that Frank has at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe she'll develop it. But this is, I mean, but we do see that she has the ambition to cut down anybody who's in her way. Right. And so she cuts down her backer, her mentor, and is going to be in a position to get the whip from mm-hmm. there on out. So that's—I mean—that was really interesting plotline. It was interesting to see her develop. I think that she is going to be a fun character to follow. I'm curious how she's going to fit into the episodes now that she is in the whip position. Um, right. I think because it seems like she's going to be a character we continue to see. Obviously, you know, you having watched all the episodes, know that she's a major player. Uh, I mean, and that's something you could reveal to us. Is she, obviously is she a major player? Does she have some big? Interaction throughout the rest of the season, is she's someone we'll continue to see. Because I kind of yeah, feel she, like she is. Because I kind of feel like now that we lost Zoe and stuff, we kind of need. I mean, we need more strong female characters other than Claire hanging around. Right. And so I, right. I, I mean, and I and I like her, so I hope that she continues to be a part of what's going on.
0: Yeah, she is around a lot more, but she's also. I mean, I think, and this isn't giving anything away, but I think you're going to continue to see that inner struggle that she has. Um, dealing with her uh, ambition, managing that with uh, how far she'll go to do certain things. And, and, if, and um, you know, Frank kind of has her in, a, in his back pocket now, in, in a way, you know, and how is she going to handle that?
1: But, I mean, Frank has everyone in his back pocket, but you're right. I think this is a more dangerous person to have in his back pocket because she, he's kind of you know it, yeah, she owes him, but he's also kind of taught her that what does it matter of owing anybody you know you yeah. if if you have this ability to manipulate, then nothing is sacred right
0: she's i mean she's kind of slid into the position that Russo left open um as the younger uh congressional representative who is trying to i mean they're obviously very different people, but she's you know younger, and Frank's trying to help the he's, well he's using both of them obviously but it, I think she's kind of filling in that role but we're seeing but with her we get a much more confident um, so less volatile yes. right uh, and a I person
1: and I mean don't give anything away here either but my anticipation no. is what we're gonna end up finding out is that she is not as malleable as Frank thinks you know he was able to get her to be more hard and more cold in this instance and maybe that's going to end up counteracting and working against him down the line you know that she's going to be not you know willing to work against him if necessary if yeah. they have to clash on something so I, I would I hope that that happens because I think that would be an interesting dynamic I'd like to see how it works because I like her character and I think she's a really strong character that might have the ability to play you know a solid game of chess with Frank and actually keep up whereas you know with everyone else he's four or five moves ahead right Right. Now, I want to talk about Lucas for a second here. Okay. Lucas is hounding police to find info on Zoe's murder. Uh, We see him look at some real gruesome security footage of her, you know, falling in front of the train. And once again, you know, Frank had it perfectly framed out. You know, the video isn't clear enough to see that she was talking to Frank in the first place. And he's hidden behind that thing the whole time. It just looks like she stumbles out and falls in front of the train. It does look pretty suspicious, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I read a
0: piece recently that w- that called out how absurd that scene would actually be. Because there are so many other cameras there. And once it's over, Frank would have had to walk for- out from behind it. <laughs>
1: Well he does I, I mean they show that In episode one That she falls And hits the train And everyone's watching her And so He goes around the side But you make a good point That you think The security camera Would have caught him Coming around the other side Exactly And so Unless he had those Camera angles Measured perfectly Which I wouldn't put it past Frank It does seem a yeah. little absurd
0: There are so many cameras Down there too I mean that's I know we're supposed To suspend belief and
1: um, Or disbelief But yeah It's It's a little tricky I mean, it's all just part of the mythos of Frank Underwood, it. he's such a genius manipulator that he's right. thought of everything and yeah. knows exactly what he's doing, you know?
0: Everything comes up perfect for for, for uh, Frank every time. Right.
1: And so, and obviously, Luke is ab- Lucas is absolutely devastated by this, and he's, like, all yeah. and he He even gets chastised by his publisher, I think, at the newspaper for, like, looking like he just... Has been wearing the same clothes for a week or so, which she probably has been wearing pretty much the same clothes since Zoe died. He, is, he looks right. like he also, also hasn't probably slept since Zoe died. Um, he uh, is really convinced that Zoe was murdered by Underwood, but has no real proof. Well, sorry, what were you going to say?
0: Oh, no. Just, yeah, keep going. I mean, him and uh, Janine's still around, right? Or do, Where does she take off?
1: No, I think she took off for her mother's house in That's right. at This point, right. So it's and just so, Lucas at at his office. So he's really, al- he's really alone right now. It's just him. Janine's gone. So he's dead. He's the only one who really ha- has the ability to act on any of this information. He calls in his former editor Tom, right. who we who we saw remember from season one, who Zoe got fired from the Washington Herald. Is that right? The Herald, who got, yeah. Who Zoe got fired from the Herald. They bring he brings he calls Tom in to like basically he wants to run his theory by that it's you know foul play because he believes that Tom has kind of the investig- investigating investigative journalism chops to you know listen hear him out and to follow him on you know potentially trust him on this story. But even Tom kind of waves it away and says, you know, you are just. You know how much. I mean which I mean and Tom like is like brings in a case of beer looks like he he says he's like working on a novel that is shitty he, he looks like <laughs> he's not he looks like he's not in a great place either and even he basically doesn't believe Lucas for a second and it's just like you know you you were clearly seeing her you're just super distraught you can't let that interfere with your professional position on this
0: right yeah so Lucas I, I, is alone yes Tom, I mean, did Lucas take over Tom's position after Tom left or was fired? I think so. I I, I, I think Lucas was the deputy editor, and then Tom was the editor.
1: Right. So I think that's right.
0: Okay. I I I guess I'm
1: not entirely sure, but I I, I think you're right about that.
0: This is a sidebar, but I looked up uh, some of the characters on um, on like the House House of Cards wiki. Mm-hmm. And th- just to see how old they're supposed to be. How old do you think Lucas is supposed to be? And how old do you think Zoe was supposed to be?
1: I think Zoe was supposed to be late 20s. Like 28 maybe. And I think that Lucas is supposed to be mid-30s. Like 35. Alright.
0: Zoe. Are... Zoe's... I think she was supposed to be about 26. Okay, So that's so pretty who, close. Y- y- yeah, younger... Um, and Lucas is supposed to be thirty. Really? That like guy born is nineteen eighty three. That's when I was born.
1: <laughs> he looks older than thirty to me. Doesn't he, looks he look a lot a older?
0: Yeah. Or maybe it's that whole you know, newspaper reporter just looking completely weathered. That that I mean that may be part of it, but yeah, he he I thought he was like mid
1: thirties for sure. <laughs> Do you know how old the actor is? I mean maybe that was No. That's a good question interesting point though because yeah he does he looks like he's more experienced but maybe that accounts but thinking of it that way maybe that accounts for a little bit more of his like um you know he, the fact that he is so distraught about this and not able to kind of be level headed about things that he is kind right. of he is if he Too is young. really that young then he is not really in a position to you know obviously this is devastating to him and he's not able to be as as logical about the process and he doesn't have that years and years of experience behind him to act as more of a foundation. So he doesn't know what to do. Tom is on his side. He's completely alone. And... Tom just advises him to go to a therapist, which I thought was... Yeah. A little bit cold-hearted. Especially because this seems to be kind of a long-lost buddy of his. But Lucas is now interested in I, I remember there was like an IT thing that he like is talking with an IT guy and basically stumbles across this idea of the deep he like learns about what the, the deep, deep internet, right. internet is yeah cause oh some are, that's because some journalist wrote a story about it or something like that and the idea that there's a you know of course there's a real internet there's the internet is more free there's more freedom to the internet than we realize because we're kind of stuck within the confines of browsers and stuff like that but really there's a lot of shady stuff going on um When you know how to manipulate it. And then, if he's able to reach back here, you can do everything from, you know, there's like sex trade and black market of drugs, and there's ability to hack phones. And so we see him kind of take an interest in this, and we—I mean—it makes it very clear this is kind of the avenue he's going to pursue. Whether or not he's going to try to hack Zoe's phone or Frank's phone, we're not entirely sure. But he—he's interested in this phone hacking thing, which is interesting because also, obviously, they're making you know allusions to the phone hacking scandal that went on um, in England or in London last year. And so, you know. House of Cards is excellent at trying to stay relevant without... They are. Um, yeah. I think they're excellent at staying relevant without, like, doing what Newsroom does and specifically copying real things that happen. Actual sure. you know? story. Right. I mean, they mirror the political environment without... But, like, are still creative enough to come up with things that seem like they would realistically happen, but they're still, you
0: know, yeah. stories. Yeah. I do find the this storyline with the deep web and trying to get the hack the phone records. I'm not sure why he wouldn't try other routes first. Um, This is, I mean, we've always kind of had a little bit of a problem about how journalism is portrayed in um, House of Cards. It's kind of maybe the weaker storylines, as we saw clearly last year with Zoe. But um, I mean, I'm not sure why he wouldn't try to go get the phone records from the phone company or check Zoe's phone bills or. So, I mean, he was dating her. I, I, I think there are other easier options before jumping into the deep web to do like phone hacking.
1: You' I think you're very right about that and certainly not to make excuses for him, but my only thing is like maybe he doesn't understand the deep web enough to know what exactly he's stepping into. Right. Like that. So maybe he thinks it's easier than it is. I mean, that's that's the only thing that I can possibly think of. But you're right. You think, as a, especially as an investigative journalist, he would have more in his repertoire of like you know in his tools for digging right. into stories than you know talking to the police and having them show him the security footage and that's it. Yeah. I mean, at least initially, and then yeah. you, if you get stuck, then you then you
0: find the weird deep web stuff. I don't know. You're right. I, I was it was a little seems weird. Like about a, that.
1: And it does seem like maybe it wouldn't be that hard for him to figure to find Zoe's yeah, phone records and see yeah. that she was, you know, on the phone or texting with Underwood not far, you know, not too long after she was ran over by a train. Right. Um anyway, so to wrap up so I'm not exactly sure whether or not they're framing Lucas to be a big adversary of Frank's. I mean, obviously, he's going to try to continue to pursue the storyline and to out what happened. If that is the case, I don't feel like he's very convincing. I don't feel like Lucas is a worthy adversary even a little bit for Frank. He kind of seems like a weenie, wuss kind of guy that is like doesn't really have the chops to take on someone as strong as Frank. Uh, right. what are your, what's your feeling about that? I
0: th- yeah. I mean, he's got the motivation. I think that's why he's the one that's, as as far as the journalists that are left, he's the one that's going to be pursuing this um, story. But it would have been, I, I would have been much more happy if Janine had stepped up and taken in this uh, role as the, because she seems a little more whip smart and she's already proven herself as a solid reporter and, and she's, I don't know, I, I really like her character. But the fact that they gave it to Lucas to pursue, um, it you know maybe we're supposed to know that maybe we're supposed to think that he's not as uh, uh prepared for um taking on frank as someone else would be um i don't i mean i, I mean, can't say much more
1: no i think that he he just seems like a little bit of a pretty boy and he, i don't i think that he doesn't know what he's getting into he just seems kind of naive about it where i think you're absolutely right where like janine has been on the investigative report before and she i think she even says that like in the last episode when she she says that she's been threatened before that's not a new thing you know she's she's done dealt with some really difficult stuff so i feel like she she's the one who would have the chop you know i feel like if he was working with janine she would be the one that was like we should go look at the phone records she would be able to tell him but it's kind of like he doesn't really know what he's doing is, is almost the impression i get and i he's kind only... of floundering Exactly. And so I can only imagine against someone like Frank that's going to come back to bite him in the ass. Now. That's a, that's a safe assumption. <laughs> so, so that's how I want to end on Lucas. And the last, of course, part I want to talk about is a Claire storyline. And it has to this, deal with this. Yeah, this uh, is the storyline General, General Dalton McGinnis. McGinnis, yep. So Frank and Claire have been invited to this event with a general, um, a couple of different Navy heroes, I believe. They're both Navy heroes, in which they're going to be asked as the new vice president and, you know, um, second lady to, you know, interact with these people and basically to – Frank's going to pin a medal on this guy of some kind. He, he has some sort of honor. He's, he's bestowing an honor upon this man. And we get the impression at first that Claire knew this guy, in college. She went out with him in college. But for some reason, she doesn't like him very much. She doesn't want to go to this event. But of course, you know, she's in a position where appearances matter and she has to go. She
0: has to, yep.
1: So, at the dinner, we see a very awkward interaction. I, don't, I, I thought this was a, a really uncomfortable scene. Where McGinnis comes over to Frank and Claire's table. Right. And he kisses Claire on the cheek. Mm-hmm. Mentions that they dated in college and just kind of walks away. Acts very nonchalant about it, but it seems to really intensely bother Claire. And for a minute, we see her, you know, she's always so, she always has this solid facade of like, you know, acting very polite and kind and making pleasant conversation and laughing and stuff. We kind of see that almost melt for a second and she we see her real emotions, which is like she seems very legitimately distraught.
0: Right. Right, she loses composure a little bit briefly. So
1: yeah, and so she she asked, she said excuses herself to go to the bathroom and goes to the bathroom, and Claire cries. Have we seen Claire cry before? I don't think so. I think this is can remember. Her. Which I mean, she has always been intensely strong, you know, like almost like I yeah, I think even almost even more than Frank seems to have. A mastery of her own emotions. And so to see her this upset about something really kind of lends it lends it gravity, I would say. And Frank, you know, comes in and she must... I mean, we assume that she's in the bathroom for a while if Frank is coming to hunt her down in the bathroom. And he, he comes into the bathroom and kind of asks her what's going on. And the impression we get is that... This General McGinnis in college raped Claire, right. which is, I mean, pretty, obviously pretty horrific. Um, and Frank is super pissed. Livid. I think that that is, yeah, the, the perfect word for it. Because I don't know if we've ever seen, seen Frank so angry about anything. We've seen Frank pretty pissed about stuff before, but he looks—I mean, both of them. I mean, obviously we've seen Claire kind of lose her cool here, and Frank looks like he's ready to go out as vice president in the middle of this banquet and punch this guy in the mouth. Yep. But of course, Claire kind of regains her composure and tells him not to do it, and that he just needs to be fine about it. So we see Frank very reluctantly pin this medal on on General McGinnis. Um, and later that evening when they get back home excuse me Frank tells Claire tells Frank about what happened and
0: Frank's pissed how so. she
1: she like he like pinned her down and she broke his nose but he still continued at it and I think she said the line, every time I think of her, of her. Pinned, okay, every time I think of her pinned down like that I strangle her so she doesn't strangle me and I was wondering like I, I it looks like you wrote that quote down too what did you i mean what did you get from that quote
0: i I think Claire is so mature I mature might be the wrong word um, she's so aware of how something like that could control someone's life forever that she makes the choice um, to live in this alternate way where she fights anything any emotion attached to that incident and it makes it easier for her to you know carry on and and uh, be successful with her and her husband otherwise it would totally it could totally control her which it does a lot of uh, people um, normally so I think that's I mean the alternate the alternative for her would have been self-pity and blame and, and whatnot but she really takes this um, kind of I can't think of a good word, you know. Evolved stance on um, what what's the best? How's the best way that she and her husband can handle this situation? More more so her handling it, but the the best thing for her is to live with it by you know pushing it back down, strangling
1: that girl that that um, was raped. What do you think? I I definitely agree with you in a lot of points there, and in in some ways I almost view this as like. Claire's origin story. Right. Because since the beginning of season one, we have seen her as this very, kind of this ice queen. Like we were saying, always so in control of her emotions, but always somewhat aloof from, you know, it's it's very, she's, we've talked about how hard she is to read more than anybody else. It's so difficult to see exactly what's going on in her head. She is so uh, specific in her interactions and how she expresses her emotions and stuff like that, you, you get the feeling that everything is calculated. And it's almost mm-hmm. like she's a character. And it, 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 that's almost kind of what it made me think of, is that like when she talks about her, she's talking about, you know, she has made the separation between this old self that is real and authentic and could really feel emotion and could be damaged by emotion, and has separated that into, you know, s- from who she is now, which is a whole separate being who is so calculated and so in control of everything. And it's almost like they're not even the same person, you know. Yeah. She views that as a as a different self, an like entirely different something other than who she is now. And that's how she is able to continue through this, you know, this terrible event that happened to her early on in life.
0: Right. I mean we see Frank reacting like super pissed, you know, 30, 40 years. I don't know how old they're supposed to be. Um, I should check that, but, uh, about the incident and when he like breaks the lamp and all that stuff, you know, she says, I know that anger more than you, you know, she's, he's pissed, but she's the one who actually had to deal with it. And this is the way she processed it for her to be able to continue to thrive as, um, as a person, but also as a successful, you know, politician.
1: And interesting for her to be in a position where she has to say, "I understand that anger, but you, you know, we have to continue on this path to yeah. preserve, you know, our yeah, our political position." Yeah, you know, it, it, interesting for Frank to have to hear that from someone else because that's right. kind of so often. his natural response,
0: she really is saying, you know, you know, hey, look at me, I'm the one that actually happened to, and mm-hmm. look how I dealt with it,
1: and I'm I'm all right, I'm getting by, I'm fine and uh, so something else I want to ask you about this before we talk about it first of all Frank is a man who does not go without revenge so I can't help but think that this is not the last we've heard of General McGinnis and that Frank is going to plan something to screw this guy over the second thing I want to say is I almost feel like this says something about their marriage you know we've talked about how their marriage seems so um, curated and it seems like a very it's more of a partnership than than a marriage and they don't but then something like this happens, and you really see that real palpable emotion mm-hmm. from Frank, and it almost lends their relationship another level of like I don't know. It makes it makes it feel more genuine. You know what I mean? I, it did does. You, did you get that same impression?
0: Yeah, and I think I think you'll see that um, throughout the season as well. There'll, there'll be more moments where you realize that there is love there. It's just a different kind of love, but there but there is genuine feelings for each other beyond. Um, You know the partnership, the business partnership, or the political partnership. Uh, This is clearly a huge reveal for Claire and for their marriage. The fact that Frank didn't know it, and the fact that they've had such an honest, uh, open relationship about everything for the most part—that this was hidden for so long—and he reacts this way—it speaks pretty uh, uh, loudly about the the underlying love that there that is there.
1: Yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. I feel like they added an additional yeah. layer to their relationship, which it always seems like we're constantly doing, which I appreciate because I think yeah. it, they, they have such an interesting relationship that it's always pretty fascinating. Right.
0: It's also interesting to see Claire as the composed one here who can uh, – she tries to help Frank from out of these feelings of anger and hate toward uh, McGinnis, and she tells him – use that hate but not on him because obviously he wants to go just kick this guy's ass but she wants him to use that hate but not on him so you know just like she did channel that energy focus that hate energy into you know Fuel,
1: exactly exactly whatever it takes and they you know they they certainly channel it in a lot of very uh positive ways for their career but destructive ways for everyone else who happens to get in their path
0: Right, There's one more thing I wanted to bring up about Claire when she said, I think of her, uh, I I strangle her so she doesn't strangle me. It's interesting that she's speaking of herself in the third person, Mm -hmm. meaning she completely, you know, disassociates herself with that girl, that event, that emotional response that, you know, I would guess 99% of everyone else would have. Um, mm-hmm. She does not even want to include that as it's not part of her at all. It's a completely different person that that maybe tries to show up occasionally, but she does not allow it to happen. So interesting, the third person reference there. I thought just showing how how completely disconnected she is from uh, that the the rape victim.
1: I mean, clearly a mechanism she uses is some sort of therapy, you know, to to right. not let it, like you said, be be a destructive force for her. So I mean. I think that's very impressive, and it shows a lot of self control on her part. But it's also a very interesting thing to consider that, like, yeah, she is, you know, like we were saying, she's a, she's this alternate character that she's created for herself. So, I mean, at the end of this episode, I, I mean, at this point, here are my predictions for what's going to happen coming up from what we gained from this episode. Lucas, I think, is going to, um. I think that he's going to get himself into trouble because I don't think that he is a worthy opponent of Frank. So I think that he is on a path that he is about going to get himself annihilated. I mean, maybe Frank's going to kill him. I don't know. But he's going to get himself screwed over in one way or another by Frank because he doesn't know the shitstorm that he's getting into. Uh, With this Claire thing, I don't think we've seen the last of this McGinnis. I think that Frank is going to find a way to get his revenge on this guy. Um... And I almost wonder if it's going to be something that almost comes, you know. Hope, you know, with Frank, normally everything's so calculated, but he's so angry about this. Maybe it'll come at the expense of what he's trying to do to propel his career forward, which would be interesting. I think that that would be, well, let me talk about that in one minute because I want to talk about all the other predictions. But that actually makes me think of a very interesting idea for kind of how I hope this season goes. Um,. Jackie, I think it will be interesting to see now that she is going to become Whip, what her dynamic with Frank becomes. I think that she could be worthy opponent potentially because he—it's like, you know, Frank creates this, you know, Doctor Frank Underwood creates this monster that's a Frankenstein who maybe you know he creates this ice cold. Mentor who could potentially do the same thing to him, which I think could be really interesting. So I would like to see how that evolves. I know we're going to to deal more with Tusk, but frankly I find Tusk kind of boring, so I'm not that interested by where that's going. The two things I could see being interesting as far as how Frank evolves throughout the rest of the show would be either him combating Jackie because he would be combating the monster he created, which I think would be really interesting. The other thing I could see is that I think would be interesting is, you know, the only person who is able to take Frank down is Frank himself. And that would be like, you know, something like, you know, with the hint of anger that we saw about this, um, thing, you know, some, he does something that's uncharacteristic of himself that does not, prog- you know, that actually ends up hurting him. You know, I think that, you know, we see him so easily, Overcome every obstacle in his path that it would be interesting if, you know, he places the obstacles in his own path. Uh, And, and, you know, he's his only worthy adversary would be another interesting approach, you know, some sort of self-destructive force. So I'm hoping one of those two things happens because I really think that we need to see Frank run into some uh, difficulties here because he seems to just steamroll everyone who comes in his way. It's funny because that was our complaint last season too. We're like, man, someone needs to be able
0: to at least you know you know break his foot or something like that. He, he doesn't get it. He's, he walks away untarnished almost every time. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. And so those are my predictions, and I know I, I know that obviously when my you know predictions what's going on, are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so yeah, you got to keep it hush hush. But and I appreciate you not a uh, in on any of my predictions. So I don't want to ruin. I it. think it'll be really funny to hear at the end of all this like what you thought of me saying these things when you know what's gonna happen yeah um uh, but anyway I'm excited to see what happens next I thought this was another really solid episode um I loved the episode one so I don't think it was as good as that I don't feel like there was any scenes that really really gripped me I really I did like the the, the scene in the bathroom where they're talking and I also with Frank and Claire and I really liked the scene with Jackie when she's talking to um Ted at the end and has to like be really cold hearted. I thought that was a really great acting job on her part. But I think I'm gonna have to go ahead and give it a four out of five.
0: I agree. I, I I'm giving it a four out of five. I thought it was solid, it was great, engaging. I love I love that we got background on Claire and she and as we mentioned last season, you know, we were hoping that she would have more of a prominent role and I think this definitely uh, sets her up as uh, especially with the beginners thing, as another struggle. But we'll get more camera time on Robin Wright, who's totally killing it, again, as Claire. Oh, yeah. She's incredible. She's She's absolutely incredible.
1: All right. Well, I'm excited to see what happens next. And I want to thank everyone again for joining us uh, this evening. Chris, where can people find more of your work these days? More of your um, comments and uh, jokes and
0: photos. Quips, yeah, exactly. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at
1: Chris Husted. Chris with a K. Where are you at, Tyler? I am on both of those two at TJMoss11. And once again, we appreciate you guys for listening. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com this American Horror Story podcast and, of course, on iTunes. Rate us, review us. And we really, really appreciate that. All right, without further ado, um once again, thank you all for joining us and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Bye.
0: I don't wanna be your friend. I just want to be your lover.